You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Ralph Macchio, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Fantastic Four, episode 21A, the new Fantastic Four, covering a period of the Fantastic Four from 1990 to 1991. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am our Fantastic Four host, Eric Findlay. And today we have, uh, we're going to be talking about the epic collection called the new Fantastic Four. And we're going to split this episode into two, though, because this volume is half of Walt Simonson. It ends the Walt Simonson run, which we talked about in the previous Fantastic Four, episode 20. And then it's the beginning of the Tom DeFalco run. So I thought, instead of trying to mush them all together, um, I I want to split this right down the middle. And so we're only going to talk about the Walt Simonson um, issues in this episode and then next time, we will talk about the DeFalco, the beginning of the DeFalco run. What issues are we going to cover today? Uh, we'll be looking at Fantastic Four 347 through to uh, Fantastic Four 354, including the Fantastic Four annual number 24. And we're also going to do the Marvel holiday special number one. Right. One story from it. Because there's like seven or eight stories in that holiday special, all with different characters. But there is one Fantastic Four story, and it's also written by Walt Simonson and drawn by Arthur Adams. So it makes sense. It's at the very end. It's a bonus feature at the very end of this epic collection. But we're going to pull it into this half since we're talking about Walt Simonson anyway. Right. Well, one thing that I forgot to do in preparation for this episode was do a Twitter poll and get listener comments. So we're going to skip over that part, and we're going to save that for when we talk about the Tom DeFalco run. Well, I'll make sure that we have that in, that stuff ready for that episode. But we can just move forward here. Why don't you tell us anything that we need to know in preparation for reading this particular book? Oh, man, if you're just coming on with this volume, there's a bunch that you need to know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So starting off in the last volume, specifically in issue 338, uh, Johnny met a blue-skinned lady named Nebula um, while they were skipping across time and space. And um, as I said in the last volume's episode, uh, this is confusing because it's not the Nebula that we know from like the Guardians of the Galaxy movie or Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, This is not... Thanos' granddaughter, it's actually uh, Ravona Renslayer, a.k.a. Terminatrix, a.k.a. sometimes Kang, um, (laughs) and also Kang's lover in disguise. She's disguised as Nebula the Space Pirate, although in, like, scantily 80s uh, alluring clothing. (laughs) Right. Anyway, uh, Johnny, like, has an immediate crush on her, and we see the effects of that in this one. Also... As pretty much anybody who knows the Fantastic Four knows, uh, Ben Grimm and Alicia Masters dated for years. But then um, after the Secret War, 
Ben, ben, ben decided to, yeah, he decided to stay on Battle World. Following this, Alicia and Johnny started to date and eventually got married in Fantastic Four 300. Yeah, um, which we talked about that marriage right. in a previous episode called yeah. All in the Family. Right. And this is going to be important. Not so much in this episode, but in part B. Yeah. But a little bit here. Well, yeah, because she... It, it does play heavy for... I think there's some interesting, oh, yeah. in, interesting in the, things that play during the new Fantastic right, Four Right, in the story. new Fantastic Four story. Yeah, there, there's definitely some of that. And, and it's just good to know because yeah. you're going to see Johnny and Alicia very affectionate. And if you're used to, especially if you're reading current Fantastic Four... Or, or older Fantastic Four. Or older Fantastic Four, yeah. This is a very specific period of time for the Fantastic Four, for Johnny and Alicia. Yep. Moving on, uh, Skrulls are a warrior race of shape-shifting aliens. Most people know that, I think. And finally, um, at this point in time, Latveria is in the midst of a civil war. Right. When Doom was thought to be killed in an explosion which defeated Tyros, who later became Terrax the, uh, the Terrible, Herald of Galactus, Doombots went into this sort of default programming to reprogram the mind of Doom's young ward, Christoph Vernard. Or maybe it's like Wernard. I don't know. I've never heard it said. Wernard. Yeah, I don't know. And reprogram his mind with Doom's memories. Uh, now, at a certain point after the Fantastic Four's defeat, uh, or sorry, Fantastic Four defeating Doom, Christoph interrupted the process and that led him to actually believe that he was Doom. Yeah. Because if he had gotten all the memories, he would know that, oh, I'm just Christoph, but I'm supposed to act as Doom <laughs> with all these memories. But by interrupting the process, he now believes that he is Doom and that an enemy has trapped him in this child's body. The Beyonder, I believe at Secret Wars 2, later recreated Doom's body and sort of brought him back to life. And Doom returns to Latveria only to be met by his own forces, controlled by Kristoff. And he has been fighting to try and regain control of Latveria ever since. And this goes back to John Byrne's run, right? right. All yeah. the way back there. So we, this is like, I don't know, 50 issues later that he's right. still dealing with this. Now, we really see Doom start the Civil War, or at least the, the first major attempt, um, in Fantastic Four Annual number 20, which was, it's probably like volume 18, which hasn't been released or something like that. Okay. But uh, in that one, um, Doom's trying to save the soul of his mother and uh, tries to get Franklin Richards to help him. And at the very end, the Doombots are convinced that Kristoff is the real Doom because Dr. Doom, Victor Von Doom, shows like an ounce of compassion at one moment. And the Doombots are like, oh, that can't be him. So they all side with Kristoff and they kick Doom out. And so then Doom's like, oh, I got to go back in and get him. So, so that's where Latveria is at right now. Uh, I think we can also mention that the, in the previous volume in the Walter Simonson run, Galactus, a future, in the future, Galactus was going to destroy the Earth. Right. And the Fantastic Four stopped that. Right. Which, which, uh, sent the this secret agency called the Time Variance or, um, authority. The, authority to just go nuts, go bonkers, trying to fix the timeline because the FF were mess, mucking with time. And we're going to see major yeah. implications from that in this volume here. Right. So they've just come back from this really long trip through time, which um, I believe they say, and I, I don't remember what they said, they, it only takes about like a couple of days or something like that. They've They've been gone for like a long time but when by the time they actually come back with time travel it's hasn't been that long yeah 
We it'll also be conf- confusing at the beginning if you don't realize that Ben Grimm is human at the moment, right? And he wears a thing costume sometimes. Yeah. Yep, to give him strength and and stuff like that. And his girlfriend Sharon Ventura currently is a thing, like right? She thing, she thing. Yep, and she does not want to be. Yeah, so that kind of gets you <laughs> up to speed. I hope. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is a lot of information right. to know. There's also tons you need to know. Like go and read the Korvac saga if right. you haven't read that, because oh, yeah. you need need to know a whole bunch of stuff like and that. And it even ties into some Thor annuals. Go back and read um, Secret Wars three, which is found in the pages of Fantastic Four um, in Steve Englehart's run, which we haven't talked about yet because we haven't got to that volume. Right. But that plays heavy with a lot of the uh, Beyonder stuff and with. Um, uh, Molecule Man that's coming right, up. Molecule Man, yeah. So there, <laughs> Walt Simonson is, this this, this run is actually very continuity heavy. It's a little bit unusual for this era of Marvel because they're kind of going through this period. The 70s and the 80s were like, we only want to do one-off stories, stories that can be wrapped up in one or two issues. Uh, and there are a few overarching threads that kind of go through, you know, through creator runs and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's like a small thing here, and then we'll pick it up a little bit later. But when Walt Simonson did Thor, and he went really continuity heavy at that point, things started to change. This is when DeFalco also stepped in uh, as editor-in-chief because Jim Shooter was very much like, let's keep these just to two or three-part stories. Um, Tom DeFalco wasn't opposed to doing longer stories, and so... So when Walt Simonson did this, it sort of changed the shape of the way comic writers started shaping things. And now, of course, when we're talking about modern comics, everything is so, so continuity heavy uh, that you could get lost reading just one random issue. Yeah, at at this point in time, Marvel has maybe two editors on a title, um, like one specifically on this and then like the the editor-in-chief or something like that. Well, the but, other, yeah, the editor in chief oversees all sees everything. Of the, yeah, the, but 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 now in modern comics, they have like three or four or five editors. Yeah, there's an associate editor, assistant editor. Yeah, and there's like that. one yeah. editor to look over all of the Avengers titles. That's right, group editors. Group editors. Yeah, yep. and then there's the editors that oversee, like even underneath the editor in chief, there's ones that oversee this, the, just the the larger picture of the Marvel universe. Right. And like there, yeah. It's very, very structured and very compartmentalized. And it's all because of Simonson. Uh, and I don't know if you can say it's because of Simonson, but he definitely started that that uh, that trend of, of the continuing story that really went continuity heavy. And you see that for sure in this Fantastic Four run here. And he does it so well. Um, and I'm going to point that out in, in one particular issue. And Fantastic Four is a really great title to do it with because of all of the time travel and interdimensional stuff that um, uh, that can work in just sort of one-offs. But when you're dealing with affecting time, there should be some repercussions. Yes. And also you only have four, maybe five characters. And so dealing with uh, multiple, multiple storylines and ongoing sagas of these characters isn't as big of a deal as with like the X-Men when there are like 12 right. characters. Well, and especially since they are related. They yeah. are a family, yeah, yeah, the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, when one of them has sort of a uh, character focus and development, it's actually character development of all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so closely impact each other. Right. 
Wow, I think that's all we need to know here. <laughs> Let's move on to our issues. All right. Yeah. We begin this book with issue number 347. It's called Big Trouble on Little Earth. And in this one, a scroll crash lands on Earth and poses as people that the FF are close to uh, in order so that this scroll can uh, actually just like knock them out and... Uh, and uh, like incapacitate them, catch them off guard. And then she calls in new, there's, <laughs> I don't even, you can't really even sum this up. There's, there's so many things at play here uh, because the, she's a renegade scroll. The scrolls are after her. They, the, the other scrolls crash land on monster Island. She manages to get mole, mole man's monsters to kind of run a rampage in New York. So she calls some new recruits to be the new Fantastic Four to mm -hmm. try and... And she tricks them into trying to get them to do what she wants them to do. Right. The tricky part about explaining this uh, issue is that we don't actually find out what her plan is right. until yeah. two issues from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, but this is a fan favorite because, of course, the new Fantastic Four is made up of arguably the four most popular characters in the Marvel Universe at this time. Well, it is except for one. In the back of this issue, there is a um, an excerpt from X Men Legends Volume Three from Arthur uh, from Arthur Adams, and in that he says that when he came on board, Walt Simonson suggested that they fake kill the FF and replace them with Marvel's four most popular characters at the, at that time: Wolverine, Spider Man, Ghost Rider, and Punisher. Okay. And then Arthur Adams says, well, why don't we use the Hulk instead of Punisher? And Walt's like, sure, let's go with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's not, that's all it was. Yeah. Okay, well, and Punisher does get a little tiny role in this story a few issues down the road, yeah. so we can talk about that then. But yeah. uh, arguably, though, Hulk was... He was like, very popular. He was very popular. Well, especially with the, the Grey Hulk era. This is the middle of the Peter David run for the Hulk, and so he was very popular yeah. at the time. So he might have been, like, number five on the list. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> the the neat thing is with the new FF, um, especially with the inclusion of Hulk over Punisher, they are very similar to the actual Fantastic Four. Hulk is the big, strong, impenetrable one, like the Thing. Of course, Ghost Rider is like the Human Torch, fire-based powers, projectiles. He can kind of fly-ish with his bike riding <laughs> up the side of walls, going fast. Um, Spider-Man is there, Mister Fantastic. Because he's a scientist, he's smart, he's the most agile, the most flexible. And the sort of the odd one out, the one who doesn't fit is Wolverine. Could you say that he is like a ninja? And ninjas are like <laughs> invisible? I, <laughs> they... I, 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 I guess, but that's a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> well, this was, this was so fun. And part of the fun of this one is not just the characters that are in the new Fantastic Four, but Arthur Adams is just such a fantastic artist. Oh, yeah. He is so detailed and so so just fantastic. He, he's great. Um, um, well, also in that um, excerpt from the uh, X-Men uh, volume, yeah. he said that when he came on, they asked him, well, what do you want to draw? And one of his responses was Mole Man and his monsters. Yeah, right. Because he gets to draw the monsters and all the details he and everything. He does love his giant monsters, that's for sure. And he is a, he's a guy that never has regular a regular gig. Mm -hmm. He always is just doing kind of one-off issues here or there. These days, he just does covers. 
Um, yeah. His longest stint may have have been the six issue long shot series, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really do that much more. And the reason is is because he's really slow. And the reason why he's really slow is because his work is so, so detailed. detailed. And the funny part here is the reason he was asked to be on Fantastic Four was because they were behind and they needed him to do some issues to help <laughs> them catch up. And he actually admits that he knows that he's kind of slow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And always often falls behind, and he makes a joke of that in that excerpt. Yeah, well, and we can see when we get to the third part of this story as well. Uh, he has an assistant credited helping him out, so he, even he needed to speed up uh, in order to catch the deadlines. Mm-hmm. But it also gave Walt Simonson an opportunity to get ahead um, of the giant size 350th issue that's right. coming up as well. Uh, let's see here. So some of the things that I really find very interesting here is the appearances or the apparitions of the people that appear to the individual members of the Fantastic Four. So the thing is that this Skrull, Renegade Skrull, what's her name? Lila? Delilah. Delilah. Yeah, Delilah. There's, there's an apostrophe in there because it's a Skrull name. Now, Delilah is definitely a reference to the biblical character Delilah, right. who, who was the person who was like seducing Samson right. and cut off his hair. Yeah, so temptress. She's, the temptress, yeah. And so she's doing the same thing here. Mm-hmm. She's tempting the Fantastic Four in order to get the, catch them off guard. And so when she goes to see Reed, she is in the appearance of Sue. And right. so Reed thinks she's Sue. And when she appears to Ben, she's in the appearance of um, Alicia. Now, I don't know, does, does it say that she has some sort of mental powers that she... Yeah, she's to... a low-level telepath. Okay, so she knows, she can reach into the mind to find yeah. out who the person is that this person desires the most in order right. to appear that way. One interesting thing is that she does appear as Alicia to Ben. Right. Not Sharon, Sharon yeah. Ventura, whom he's currently dating. But that one is... As a thing. I, I always saw that as Ben felt sorry, has a has a, a, a sympathetic sort of relationship with yes. Sharon. It's not the true love that no. he absolutely oh, has not. for Alicia. So that one's not a surprise to No, me. no, no, it's not. It's just interesting. Uh, Johnny, Johnny gets, uh, he, does, he doesn't see Alicia. No. He sees the blue woman yes. that he is currently obsessed with. And I find that interesting because it's not his true love. It's a person he's he's currently consumed by thinking of. It's not right. Alicia. It's not Crystal. It's not anybody like right. that. It's this random blue lady who he only like met once. Right. Particularly because uh, I think um, Delilah picked up on this because he was obsessing over that. He was presently thinking about that at that moment. Yeah. And that could be. And that's just going to catch him off guard. Now, the very most interesting thing is that when she appears to Sue, she appears as Namor. Right. I thought that was like, <laughs> what? Really? That <laughs> Yeah. It's like and and we never really know what Sue's um what what's what Sue thinks about Namor. Like they cuz we know of course that Namor is obsessed with Sue. Right. And she always kind of pushes off his advance advances, but we don't really ever get the sense of like, well, if she wasn't married, would she go off with Namor? She, she doesn't might. she doesn't in those early days. No. When they're when before Reed and Sue are married. Yeah, but even then She's very dedicated to Reed. She's loyal to him. She's not going to betray him. Yeah. I, like, I don't think she would go off with Namor unless she formally broke it off with Reed first. Yeah. But, uh, and, and she wasn't ready to do that. But yeah, we never really do know if, like, let's say there, wa- uh, there uh, was no Reed Richards. Would she go with him? I don't know. 
And this is a, a very interesting thing here. And we'll see a few volumes down the road when Reed Richards is out of the picture during the Tom DeFalco run. Right. And Namor does come into the picture a little bit. Mm-hmm. There are some interesting things at play, but nothing, well, spoiler alert, nothing really <laughs> happens. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was a really interesting choice for Simonson to put in here. Yeah. That, that it's a little bit of a would, commentary yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's just neat. When Sue sees Delilah as Namor, she makes a comment about him saving the environment. Oh, aren't you off saving the environment right now? Right. And that's a reference to um, the company that he started up, Oracle in- uh, Oracle Incorporated. Right, yeah. During over the, in Namor yeah. the Submariner. Which was the John Byrne title. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know that Monster Island was in the Bermuda Triangle? Yes. Okay. I, I <laughs> Maybe I knew that at some point, but I had totally forgot that it was. Yeah. They've mentioned it's been it's been mentioned a few times when Monster Island comes up. It's definitely not mentioned in Fantastic Four number one. No, which is oh, definitely not. Like no, my <laughs> one but, I know the um, most. Once sort of this continuity type stuff starts coming up, um, that's when they uh, the the Marvel writers and editors start to place things a little more specifically. And um, there was a website, which I don't believe is active anymore, called the Marvel Atlas Project, which interestingly um, abbreviates to MAP. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they went through and took all of the references to where things were to try and pinpoint locations of of, uh, places in the Marvel Universe. And Marvel actually took that information and used it, uh, like from the website, they credit the website, when they put out their official atlas to the Marvel Universe in the early 2000s, uh, part of their new... Um, the handbook. The all-new handbook, right. Do you have that? I do have that. Oh, you're going to have to show me that. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I haven't seen that. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. So the the all four of these new Fantastic Four characters are firmly set uh, in the 90s. Like they, they are all so specific to their character, what's going on right now. Because if you think of the Hulk, you don't think of the Grey Hulk. No. You don't even think of the Smart Hulk. But this is a Smart Grey Hulk, which he was was at this time. Very, very specific yeah. timing. Uh, um, also known as Joe Fixit. Yep. Yep. He was working as a bodyguard in Las Vegas. And and at this point, also Wolverine was... Um, the, the, the X-Men are presumed dead at this point. They're hiding out in Australia. Right. Wolverine is actually living, uh, working out of Madripoor under the, the, the name Patch. And so that's why we never see Wolverine in costume right. in these three issues. Uh, very Also very specific to this period of Wolverine's life. Um, Ghost Rider is not Johnny Blaze, nope. not Frank Castle. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, right, as, it's... as modern people would think. <laughs> yeah. It's Danny Ketch. Uh, the period of the 90s, Danny Ketch was ghostwriter, and that's yeah. very, he, very specific. Yeah, it, and, he came out in 1990 or 1991, Yep. so just before this. Right around this time, yeah. And it was very popular, very popular. His bike looked a lot cooler. Yeah, uh, unless you love the vintage-looking bikes. In, <laughs> in that case, Johnny Blazes is cooler. And the only one that kind of remains the same is Spider-Man. He, he has the same costume. We don't really get to see any of his... His, uh, you know, personal life in this story or anything like that. So, is this um, around the time of Todd McFarlane Spider Man? 
Yes. Okay, yes, because it, it, it very much looks like a Todd McFarlane Spider-Man with like the way his eyes kind of change a little bit. And... Yeah, this, well, yeah, Spider-Man number one, Todd McFarlane Spider-Man number one would have come out just um, when, uh, actually, it's probably just on the horizon. It hasn't happened yet, oh, okay. but it's going to happen very, very soon. But he's already very popular. Todd McFarlane was already doing Amazing Spider-Man. In fact, yeah. Eric Larson was probably on Amazing Spider-Man at this point. All of these characters are... I find that throughout these three issues, all four of these characters are very... Um, they're not very nuanced. No, they're very much like, here's the box that they're supposed to be in. Yeah, because they're just guest stars. Right. Uh, so Hulk is always like, I'm going to smash you. And you're like, I got a bad attitude. I'm going <laughs> to hit things because I'm angry. And, you know, and... Um, Ghost Rider is all, all about, you know, I'm going to see inside the soul, your soul. Vengeance. And, you know, yeah. He says vengeance like three times in each issue. And, 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 and Spider-Man is actually sort of very reserved and almost cowardly at times. Yeah. But I guess that's trying to give the, uh, the appearance of thoughtfulness. Like, let's think this through before we do it. Maybe. And Wolverine also is kind of reserved as well. He kind of doesn't really do a whole lot. No. Uh, but I feel like this is just because if people are not familiar with these characters they're not going to go into the nuances of their personalities they're going to be pretty much the their own archetypes right for this story and here. it's only for three issues yep although it ends up not being for three issues in the long run they they do come back as the new fantastic four later <laughs> right yeah but time, um, from time to time and at this point it's just well let's just throw them together for three issues and then they're done yeah so there's no point in trying to develop them more right. as a group yeah Okay, I have one more. Do you have anything else you want to say here? I really like on page five, um, at the very bottom of the page, we have our first glimpse of Delilah, but we don't know who she is yet. Um, After her uh, ship crashes, we see her silhouette, and then we see a close-up of her face, and she is shaded green, but the way it's done, it gives the appearance that it might just be sort of a product of the lighting. Right, yeah. And I like how they do that. It's like, we're yeah, we don't see her chin. And it's like, we actually are told up front that she's a scroll, but we don't necessarily re- recognize it. And now you figure it out pretty quickly on as she changes shape. But uh, yeah. I love this this intro. It's such a movie opening where it's yes. like, you, the, you don't get the credits or anything or, like or, that. Or like and, the uh, TV show Cold Open or something like that. Yeah, something before the theme song. It's like, you just, you're there's something exciting that's happening and it comes to earth and you have no idea. And then there's a crash. And then we're, then we get a little peek at normal life for the fantastic four and (laughs) before things all ramp up. So yeah, it's a great, great opening. Okay. We've talked a lot about this issue, so we should probably (laughs) move on. Yeah. Uh, Just one thing I want to say before we move on the next time, the little next issue blurb at the bottom of the last page says next where monsters dwell, or or maybe creatures on the loose. Both of those things, where monsters dwell and creatures on the loose, were the names of Marvel comic titles from the past. Right, were just monster, monster, monster uh, books. Books, yeah. Um, and where monsters dwell was even brought back during the newest um, Secret Wars right. as one of the the portions of Battle World, the right. new Battle World. Yeah. Okay, so three forty eight is where monsters dwell, or is it? where creatures roam. And we start off with a a little bit of a recap of Delilah in the form of Sue telling the new Fantastic Four what she says is going on, which is not actually what's going on. Um, And they fly off 
with this scroll device, which actually becomes important in a few issues. And they head off to follow the signal of what's controlling these monsters that are attacking uh, New York. They go to Monster Island, where they meet up with the Mole Man. And we finally start to see a little bit of Delilah's plan, which is to get to this indestructible scroll device, which is normally only controlled by the Empress. If she can gain control of it, then she can attack the Empress and maybe take over the scroll world or something. Pretty lofty goal there. Yes. Oh, by the way, she also teams up with Reed um, by threatening to harm uh, his family, and he goes along with it. And so they are. Uh, there are sort of three factions, four factions here. There's the uh, Skrull army. There's the Mole Man and his creatures. There's the new Fantastic Four, and then there's Delilah and Reed. Yeah. There's a. It's a very intricate plot. There is so much going on in these issues, and we know it's only going to be a three-issue story, so we're like, how's this all going to wrap up? And everything kind of builds and builds throughout this issue, and then comes to a head where we're going to have, at the very end of this issue, where we're going to have a very dramatic battle between all of the different factions. Right. Very cool. Um, I didn't have much to say about this issue, except it's it's funny because um, the Mole Man captures the Skrulls and has the Moloids watch them while he goes off. And when he comes back, one's missing. Yeah. And Wolverine and Hulk, who have encountered Skrulls before, are like, hmm, I just feel like smashing some rocks. And they start <laughs> smashing some rocks, and then they get to this one, and then it starts to shake, and it turns out the guy turned into a rock. Yeah. And I'm right. thinking, he's supposed to be like the captain of this group. He's supposed to be like the tactical leader. Why didn't he change into a Moloid? They all look the same, <laughs> yeah, and they're all pretty stupid. <laughs> You know what? I, I found that a big misstep in this story arc is that Wolverine has no sense of smell. Yeah. He could have easily sniffed out uh, all of like all of the characters here. He would have known that Sue is not Sue when she comes with Reed. Right. Uh, but he, he doesn't use or his even nose before. at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even before when they're in the Four Freedoms Plaza in the previous issue, he should have smelled everything that was going on, well, but he had no clue. At this time, he's very heavily smoking... And smoking cigarettes and smoking <laughs> yeah. cigars. So maybe that ruined his sense of smell. I don't think so. <laughs> I do appreciate how Spider-Man tries to talk and reason with Mole Man instead of just trying to punch him. And that works out pretty well for them. I find out that th these four actually work as a good team together. The whole scene on the airplane where they're trying to rescue the people in the airplane. Right. It's very well, well written, well thought out. Simonson gives each one of the four um, a specific purpose so that they can all work together and that comes into play again uh, later when they are disarming this this device that'll let go of the the egg that they're after uh, they all work together it, it's yeah. he they, he's designed it in a way that all four of them need to use their specific power set in order yeah. to make and so it work. she she chose them not at random but specifically because of the the um skill sets they have yeah well, shall we move on to the third part here? Sure. This is issue number 349. It's called Eggs Got Legs. And this is the one I mentioned before that uh, um, Arthur Adams is, is shares the, the art byline with another person. What's the name on that? Gracine Tanaka. Right. And I'm not familiar who that is. And the honestly, the artwork looks just as well as it did in the last two issues. So... Um, either this person is a great mimic, Arthur Adams mimic, or uh, there wasn't as, or maybe they just did backgrounds or something like that. Uh, 
but uh, it, lo- it still looks good. In this one, Del- Delilah finally reveals her plot, which is to get this device so that she can take over the, em- uh, yeah, the Empire. Yeah, she, she's part of a scroll resistance, and they have smuggled out this, uh, this device. So before we go on with the rest of the plot here, does that mean that these scrolls are good guys because the scroll is a warrior <laughs> race right and so right. if the if the scrolls are normally bad guys wouldn't the renegade scrolls be good guys depends on your um depends on your views on uh, imperialism <laughs> yeah or you know, yeah or how they're going to go about solving their problems and stuff right. I, I feel like it's the same with the scrolls in the captain marvel movie that we saw these are these are good guy scrolls because they're going against the bad guy scroll empire right yeah we ne- we don't really ever find out the motivation behind these renegades what their goal is are... well they're going to get the egg so they can no 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 but i mean Empress. but 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 why what's wrong with the empress do they want a more peaceful living or do they just think that maybe they should be more aggressive and they're not as aggressive in attacking other planets or i don't know we don't we don't know that part so we can't really yeah. tell whether they are the good guys or the bad guys because maybe they want things to be more bad from a from an earth perspective well the second kree scroll war i think has started at this point over in the silver surfer book mm. uh, during steve Englehart's silver surfer because he after he leaves fantastic four he goes over to, to silver surfer and that would the timing would probably be about right here and there are major problems within the scroll uh scroll empire at this point right so I think that probably has something to do with it. Though, yes, you're right. It's never said uh, specifically in these issues. Okay, so Mole Man, this is, this is a great part. Mole Man's monsters get the egg. And uh, it's, it's the main monster who's on the cover of FF number one, right? Yes. What's the monster's name? Gormu? Is that the monster? Uh, oh, I don't remember. So this this monster and the monster's partner act as parental figures for this egg. And so now like all of the people who are gathered here underground are trying to get this egg away from the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and they and then the um the the scroll captives um let us in on a little secret uh where this creature is going to imprint on the first person the that egg, it the sees egg, the, the, thing egg, the, egg the thing egg. yeah the thing inside the egg will imprint itself on the first being that it sees um and only listen to orders from them which is how the um empress ends up being the only one to control them which is why there's such a time crunch and why Delilah's really pushing things to move fast and and because this egg's going to hatch and she needs to be the thing that this creature sees first right yeah uh it doesn't end up that way i love the the ending is just yeah it has that fantastic four comedy oh, it to does. it yeah where it's like they keep things pretty light mm-hmm. and um and it imprints on gormu and so it just eventually becomes one of the mole monsters monsters in the end yeah <laughs> it's just it's a fantastic ending yeah uh, to a, a great three three parts and it's a good uh it's also a good ending because nobody really wins yeah you know, Mole Man doesn't necessarily get it to attack the human world, the the surface world. The Skrulls don't get it to fight back against the Resistance. The Resistance doesn't get it to fight the Skrull Empire. I don't know what the Fantastic Four would even do with it, <laughs> but they don't get it either. I think Reed would take it to the Council of Reeds and then just, yeah, figure something out. No, that's that's for the future. Yeah. 
so Delilah has uh, hogtied all of the FF members except for Reed and placed them in and the the elevator where they won't be found. And I love that Franklin comes and finds them. It's like, right. oh yeah, I completely forgot that there are other people <laughs> in the Four Freedoms Plaza that can probably stumble upon them. Right, and that's um that's at the um, guidance of Roberta, their robotic uh, secretary. Right, yeah, because Reed slips a, slips a message. Yep, that's right, a secret message. Yeah, that was good thinking. Um. A nice little, nice little plot twist there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing here: if you go to page number sixty-one, whoops, wrong way. Uh, at the top here, there are some cave paintings that go into the history of the underground creatures. Now, there's yep. this. There are like so many different factions of Subterranea, including the Mole Man and his factions. There's also Tyrannus who has his own army of moloid type creatures as well and and then the the one of the other main factions is uh are the deviants mm-hmm. who spring from the the eternals we'll probably see them in the upcoming eternals movie right um and they are so this celestial has created um the the eternals and they created the deviants and from the yep. deviants come the mutates so, so from from prehistoric man, there uh, the celestial made genetic um, alterations yep. to create the Eternals, the humans. The, 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 the humans are just like the baseline ones. Yep. It was like the genetic jump that got them to humanity or to modern humans, um, and then the Eternals, and then the Deviants, and then the Deviants were seen as lower class primitive creatures, and they were treated as slaves by the Eternals. Yeah. And so they they hit underground. They have a whole underground race. Right. And so I'm not exactly sure why they bring that up here, but they they just kind of give it a little nod, and it's like yeah, they, there's, there's a, a huge there's a painting of the it. celestial. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting that they put that in there as well. I guess we should mention the Punisher cameo. Yeah, it, it's here. very interesting because there's a guy in a helicopter who's going to blow up Monster Island, and then when he sees the Fantastic Four, he's like, "Nope, they've got it under control. I'm out of here," uh, and it's never said who he is, but he's got a skull on his helmet and a skull on the helicopter. So it's probably... Well, and also on the front cover. Oh, yes, right. We, we see the Punisher's oh, skull. Yeah, on yeah. His, and it says, uh, featuring the the world's most exploitive cameo. Yeah, I forgot about <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, so, so it is him. Um, which makes sense because they wanted the new Fantastic Four to include him. Yep. So now they're just going to toss him in because he's a popular character. Well, and it's like that cover in particular also, it's like we have the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Hulk, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, all on one cover. Right. Let's also throw a little hint at the Punisher (laughs) on the cover. It's like this is going to sell the best. (laughs) And really, it is just an exploitative cameo. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, At one point, Delilah starts to explain her story. Um, about how she's sort of an outcast um, and the rebels are sort of outcasts in the uh, um, in the Skrull Empire and she just wants like fairness for them. And Mole Man totally jumps on her side. And I like that that happened because um, that's exactly who the Mole Man is. And maybe she sort of picked up pieces of that story with her telepathy or maybe she was influencing him to her side with it uh, with her telepathy but she wouldn't need to that story would be enough yeah yeah for sure so yeah in the end the the scrolls all kind of go back to their world and peace is restored um ghost rider does his vengeance stick on on delilah, delilah as well as the captain and that's about it yep 
Um, before we move on here, there's one part where the new Fantastic Four are caught in a cave-in. And during this um, and their escape, Wolverine makes two comments. Ghost Rider is burning a tunnel and uh, Wolverine says that he's beating the steam drill, which I believe is a reference to John Henry. Oh, yeah. Because that that was his thing, right? Right. And then he says, uh, once they're sort of out, he says, oh, go tell Big Bad John to drop his load. And Big Bad John would be a reference to the Johnny Cash song where Big John is uh, is a miner, like huge guy, and during a cave-in, he holds up the roof so that all the other miners can get out, but he gets trapped. That's still John Henry? Is that still John Henry? No, no, not? that's different. Oh, different John. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I like that. What do you think of these three issues as a whole? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's got, and actually, um, Ralph Macchio, in his afterwards, says it the best. Um, he says that these three stories... Uh, give you everything a great Fantastic Four story is supposed to. Action, adventure, exploration, new concepts, strong character interaction, etc. Yeah, I actually have a clip of Raf Macchio talking about the new Fantastic Four from an interview that I did with him a while back, so I'll stick that in here. Well, Art um, was a guy who was very close to the Simonsons. Um, I knew Art, you know, I had talked to Art and all that, but, um, you know, he lived out on the West Coast and, and... you know, we were not really close friends, but I certainly admired his artwork. Everybody loved the art stuff. And um, it was Walt, really, who was able to get art on these three issues. I really was not the guy who got him on there. But because Walt was doing it, um, art was eager to jump on. And, you know, we were able to, to really play around with uh, with some fun stuff with the scrolls and all. And, you know, I just love that. I mean, that whole new Fantastic Four thing where you had, uh, you know, Wolverine and Ghost Rider and Punisher and, all, and Spider-Man. I mean, that was just three issues of, of just great fun. And I've always loved the Mole Man. And I've always loved that whole subterranean thing with the monsters and then tying in Skrulls and this Technotroid thing that came out of it. And I remember it was so well-received that it actually got reprinted um, as a uh, trade paperback, those three issues. And we were able to throw in some additional material, some of the sketches that Art had done, so, again, it was a very, very satisfying, um, really twinkle-in-your-eye kind of a three-issue thing, and um, I just had a, had a great time working on that with those guys. Mm-hmm. It was really wonderful, a lot of fun. Well, we should probably keep on moving along here. We've got a lot more material to cover, and the next up is Fantastic Four Annual number 24. Do you want to take this one? Yes. So this is called The Korvac Quest, and... Uh, this is in reference to the Korvac saga from Avengers, where they team up with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but not the ones we know from the movie, the ones from the year 3000. And it turns out that at the end of that, um, Korvac didn't really die. He sent his power from himself back in time to one of his ancestors so that he would um, eventually grow up with the knowledge and power that he has now and he might be able to um, avoid this time where he might die. It's a great paradox because right. in the Korvac saga, he was nullified by Galactus. We don't know that, but they Actually, tell yeah, it here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He just um, the way it's explained in the Korvac saga is well, he was living for his wife Karina. Yeah. And realizes after he's like killed all the Avengers that he's disappointed her she has this moment of doubt in their relationship 
and he just goes, well, I guess it's not worth living, and he just sort of like ends his life. He That's just... right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kills himself. Yeah. And But then it's revealed in this story here that he actually knew that his end was coming anyway because he knew that Galactus yeah. was angry at him and was sending... He's using the ultimate nullifier, which I don't even know if I've ever seen the ultimate nullifier actually being used. No, it's been threatened several yeah. times. <laughs> But it's he so Galactus like squeezes the trigger and this beam shoots out and I guess what it's supposed to do is erase any ex- existence any mention of your own of existence of the person you're trying to get rid of or something like that. Right. So um, and the idea behind the ultimate nullifier is very few people in the universe can actually use it because it requires such concentration on like a particular person. If yeah. you even stray, you're wiping out like everything. Yeah. And so, so Galactus this, can yeah, use it. Exactly. And this very, very specific beam is heading right for Michael Korvac. Yep. And he realizes it. And so he ends his own life before he can get nullified. Because that means he isn't nullified yeah. and can still come back. And his essence travels into the past and it has the knowledge that he's going to be nullified. Yep. So eventually it'll get back to his, his essence will go back to him as time progresses. It's kind of, it's a... It's a fascinating kind of paradoxical right. story. Oh, and we should mention, just in case you haven't read the Korvac saga, which you should because it's it's pretty good. It's good. It's one of those um, very famous stories that everyone should definitely read. He was uh, a human who was captured by the Badoon, turned into a giant like computer machine guy. And then after his initial run-in with Thor in a Thor annual, he ends up at Galactus's ship, plugs in and downloads all of this information and knowledge, which actually also gives him a little dose of cosmic power. And then he turns back into his normal human self. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's why Galactus was out to get him because he realized that somebody had like stolen stuff from him. This annual ties into the regular Walt Simonson story, even though it's not written by Walt Simonson, the story and the art are by Al Milgram. But we do get to see the Time Variance Authority. Yeah, I thought that was a very clever way to tie in two really big stories at this time, the Korvac Saga and the Cross-Time Capers. Uh, we see the head. I, I can't remember if we've mentioned this in the past episode, but we see the head of the Time Variance Authority, and it's this guy with a mustache. Mr. Mobius. He is actually a caricature of Mark Gruenwald. Yeah. Mark Gruenwald is was known, he's passed on now, but he was known as being very, he, just knowing everything about yeah. continuity. He was the keeper of continuity. Yeah. yeah. And so by placing him as the head of the TVA is is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Ralph Macchio mentions that in his afterword as well. Ah, nice. I should have read that afterward. So we sh- I should also mention that this is part one. But it's a self-contained story. You don't have to read the other five parts. Uh, the other five parts are told in, I think, Thor yeah. and Silver Surfer and Guardians of the Galaxy Annual. And one other, I can't remember what it is. But they go through different periods of time to catch up with the different ancestors of Korvac where his essence is passed along to. So one of the more interesting ones is the Thor annual where they go to the future where we meet um, an alternate Thor, a future Thor called Dargo. Uh, we don't meet him for the first time in that story, but he makes an, a, a reappearance in that story. 
because uh, we're talking about the future here. And then the Silver Surfer issue deals with um, a far, far future. In fact, I think it takes place in the year 3000 during the Guardians of the Galaxies period. And that issue I actually covered with my co-host Craig in one of our Silver Surfer episodes. Um, golly, I can't remember if it was Thanos Quest or Infinity Gauntlet. It's either episode 6 or 7. I can't remember which one. Just go listen to them both. Yeah. Well, uh, there are some backup stories here. Uh, actually, before this story, the first two pages is a brief recap of the Fantastic Four's origin, which they tended to put these kind of things in annuals at this period all the time. In fact, throughout this book, I think we get a recap of the Fantastic Four's origin three or four times. Right, because we've got an annual where they did this. We've got an anniversary issue, so they do that. Yeah, and there's another one I can't remember. But yeah, it happens quite uh, quite regularly, actually. Um, because these people, you know, you, at this time you're getting them monthly and you don't necessarily have access to the back issues. There's no collected editions like this. So mm -hmm. uh, if you want to read Fantastic Four number one, it's actually not that easy to come by at this point. So. So it's nice to get those recaps every once in a while. It's just weird seeing them pop up constantly when you have a big fat collection like this. Okay, there's a story called Volcana, Ashes to Ashes. So in the past few Fantastic Four annuals, there has been a Volcana story. And their story starts because Volcana's first appearance is in Secret Wars. Mm -hmm. And that's where she meets Molecule Man. And they have they form a relationship. They fall in love. And their story, again, is continued in, in Secret Wars 2 and kind of keep, keeps on going. In Secret Wars 2, um, Molecule Man loses his powers and um, is presumed dead, actually. He makes a sacrifice. He's, um, his essence is absorbed into the Cosmic Cube. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he becomes a new, a new character. And what we, who we'll see a little bit later on, I think. Mm -hmm. um, will we see them later on? Yeah, yeah. Cubic? Right, Cubic. Yes. But anyway, her story, because she develops these powers and is starting to learn about them, her story is kind of constantly be told through these annuals. And so this is yet another chapter in her life. And unknowingly, Volcana contains a little bit of cosmic power that Molecule Man had placed inside of her. And she is able to return Owen, our Molecule Man, his powers. So he eventually splits from the Cosmic Cube. We should should have said that. <laughs> they're, they're, his his oh, story is so confusing. It's like but... a Kang-type story where it's just so convoluted. And, yep. yeah. and, and things just keep on changing every appearance. But they that's where they're at now. And so he gets his power back. And the story is about how he relates to her without his powers and then how he relates to her with his powers. Very different. Uh, well, and, and first of all, um, when he first comes back, he says, oh, I've actually been back for like three weeks, but I didn't come and see you because I wasn't sure how you'd feel about me. Yeah. And so then it ends with them um, not really on great terms in their relationship. She's not sure if he um, wanted to be with her just to get his powers back or something. As a backup, the story, it, it kind of plops in the middle. So if you don't know the history, you might not care for this story at all. Um, but if you are interested, you can, you can read The Secret Wars 1 and 2 and also Fantastic Four number 318 and 319, which is Secret Wars 3, and then Annual number 23. And that kind of, those are all collected in, in uh, Fantastic Four. The Secret Wars isn't, but the Secret Wars 3 and the Annual are collected in a couple of... Uh, I think it's Epic Collection called The More Things Change. 
and then you can pick it up here. And this is kind of the end of their story. They they don't really appear. There, there's a little bit more of the story in Avengers Unplugged number four and Incredible Hulk number 442, which are both in 1996, so about five years down the road from now. Mm-hmm. And then they make sporadic appearances here and there, but they're not really a couple. They're not an item. Their, their story as a relationship kind of ends here. Yeah. The interesting thing with Molecule Man is that he's not, uh, especially in this story, he's he's not the villain. Right. And often he's not the villain. He plays a huge role in the newest Secret Wars as well. And he's actually being held captive, used just for his powers. And he's one of the, the reasons why it all gets resolved in the end. Yeah, but it's just with all of that power, you know, he just doesn't always have quite the right idea. He's just kind of misunderstood yeah. that way. Right. I think I think sometimes his power drives him a little insane. So his his intentions are not always clear. What's the next story here? Uh, the third story in this is called A Matter of Honor. And it features the Super Scroll, which is interesting because we've just come off of a story with scrolls. Yeah. And here we see that uh, that Super Scroll has, in a recent issue of Silver Surfer, faked his own death. And the Empress is uh, spreading rumors that any appearance by him is actually a, uh, somebody else, um, pretending to be him to cover up uh, the fact that he's dead. And Super Scroll, um, being the proud warrior that he is, doesn't like to be um hiding in the shadows he wants to be out there and get revenge uh so he consults the one of the scroll gods and decides to go and get his revenge i really think that this should have been a backup story in a silver surfer annual instead of a fantastic four annual i can understand why it's here because super scroll has the powers of the fantastic four but every single reference and continuing story that they talk about in this backup story is actually stuff that's happening in Silver Surfer at this yeah, moment. Yeah, it, it seems a little out of place. The The character of Reptile is one that ha- appeared in Silver Surfer, and again, he will appear again in Silver Surfer number 65 a few years down the road, and Craig and I talked about that in our Silver Surfer episode called uh, The Infinity Gauntlet. Um, and Super Scroll. so at the end of this, Super Scroll gets kind of stripped of his rank... Because uh, he disobeyed the Empress. Because he dis- disobeyed the Empress. And there's no repercussions. The next time Super Scroll appears, they make no reference to any of this at no. all. Although, he doesn't appear, at least not in Fantastic Four, for a while. Right. And later on in this volume, we see a new scroll that has lots of powers named Paybok, the Power Scroll. Right. And that might be the reason that they go and get, uh, they create Paybok the Power Scrolls because Super Scroll has been stripped of his rank and they want somebody similar to, to lead them. Yeah, that's possible. Yep. Yeah, I don't think we need to spend much more time on this nope. backup story. It's pretty short and inconsequential. Um, although, if you're reading, it's more consequential if you're reading Silver Surfer because these some of these storylines start there and also continue in Silver Surfer. So, Hopefully you can uh, pick up on those those uh, books over there. Right. Okay, now we have our landmark 350th issue. Walter Simonson is back on pencils as well as writing the story. And a uh, great cover with The Thing uh, and Doctor Doom looming in the background. There are so many covers where Doctor Doom is huge looming in the background. <laughs> in fact, there's another one later on in this book 
Christmas episode mm-hmm. about Yancey, Yancey Street, Street, where Doctor Doom is looming in the background. That's right. And uh, the Fantastic Four are kind of trapped or unconscious or whatever at the on the bottom. It's, it's just a, a great uh, dynamic cover. Well, in this one here, Doom, it, this is the issue where Doom finally reclaims his throne, his proper throne as ruler of Latveria right. after a very intense battle and- against... Christoph. And similar to um, a couple of issues ago, we have this as a prologue to the actual story. Right. Yeah. Even And this is a double-sized, or is it triple? It says giant-sized 350th issue spectacular. I think it's triple-sized, but there's a lot that goes on in here. But basically, Sharon goes to Dr. Doom for help uh, because Dr. Doom says he knows a way to change her back into a human, even though Reed has been trying for years and can't do it. Well, for Ben, at least. So, um, Doom, uh, Ben Ben finds this out, and they all go to try and rescue Sharon. Doom challenges the Fantastic Four and then traps them all. And that's, and then, and that, that's kind of where we're at. Um, you did miss one thing. Okay. In part of his sympathetic relationship with Sharon, uh, ben puts himself into a oh. cosmic radiation <laughs> yeah, chamber and gives him, gives him back his powers, yeah. changes himself back into the thing. Yes, yes. Uh, so the title of this comic, this issue is called The More Things Change. And of course, we're talking about the more things change, the more like the things Sharon change. and Ben. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this this was uh, quite an exciting issue. There's a lot of great character development for Ben as he goes through the motions of figuring out how he's supposed to save Sharon. Or um, even just comfort her because she's really depressed about the whole being yeah. a thing thing. Yeah, and especially right at the very end of the previous volume when they were in the prehistoric times, the, four, the Fantastic Four all lost their powers. So Sharon got to be human again and got a taste of being human again. And then got reverted once they went back to normal time. They reverted. She reverted back to the she thing. So she's extra depressed over her state right now, which I think is kind of a drag because Engelhart did a really good job of of making her confident. Uh, she she was completely depressed when she first got her thing power, but throughout the course of Engelhart's run, she became more confident in who she was. And I feel like Simonson's kind of stripping that away a little bit. But it also is kind of consistent with her character because if you think about going all the way back to Sharon Ventura in the Thing series, she wasn't very confident with herself to begin with, which is why she went to the power broker who gave her her powers. Yeah, well, that was a response. Well, yeah, that all started because she was like, it was a pretty horrific rape scene there. She right. Was, and that was, that kind of set off this whole thing. Um, like it really, really affected her. A lot of PTSD, I think, from well, and, that and, incident. And, you know, that could be, uh, it could be said that that is still present in her character. Yeah. And the way yep. she's reacting to these events. Sure. Yeah, I, I could say that. I love this when he when Doom traps the Fantastic Four. Classic Doom. It's classic. It's so classic. Just death traps. Classic comic book death traps where they all have to they go they go into this cavern and there's four tunnels and they all have to go through one tunnel. And they happen to choose the right ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're all yeah, it's just 
it, it it's a throwback to like even the very first appearance of Doctor Doom where he traps them all kind of the same way. It, it's it's really really great, and that makes the the anniversary of the three hundred and fiftieth anniversary special uh, even more special because it's very much a throwback to classic Fantastic Four. So Ben's hallway is not actually a trap. Well, it kind of is, but he can get out of it easily. But he comes across Doom and Sharon, and Sharon has been reverted, but she's unconscious, and he starts fighting with Doom. He's about to defeat Doom when all of a sudden he's stabbed in the back by Sharon. Yeah. Backstab. Betrayal. Literally backstabbed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, because Sharon had just witnessed the good side of Doctor Doom. Although his motives were not completely pure, but she doesn't right. know that. No. And um, also, as we'll see in the next issue, she has maybe still some concerns about maybe... She doesn't re- realize that she's not the thing anymore. She's sort of uh, maybe in shock or, or something. And seeing a thing attacking Doctor Doom, she might, I don't know, just think there's something wrong with that. Yeah. She doesn't know that Ben has changed back. She doesn't know that they are in Latveria. Okay, so go to page number 170. Yeah. So Dr. Doom says, I have never forgotten that I swore to revenge myself on you for my humiliating defeat during the Battle of the Baxter Building, which was like Fantastic Four number eight or something like that way this back in the 60s. With, with Namor. Yeah, with Namor. This is forever ago. Yeah. And and Ben says, you gotta be kidding, that was a zillion years ago. You mean you've been a robot every single time we've seen you since then? That's an interesting <laughs> conclusion. Yeah. And and Doom says, that my orange friend is something you shall never know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the case because there have been times where they've written off Doom's uh, motivations or the way Doom has acted and stuff and just saying, oh, that was a Doom bot. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really him. Right. It's it ha- and, and Walt Simonson just calls him out right there. Right. <laughs> saying, yeah, and, it, it happens. And <laughs> they show it so well here because in the prologue, we see Doom attack the castle and attack Kristoff, uh, but it's actually not Doom. Yeah. It's actually a Doom bot who thinks it's Doom. <laughs> yes. And... And then Doom comes, and they, the, the, the good thing is all three of them are wearing different armor. Yeah. The Doom bot is wearing the typical, like, iron kind of dark gray armor that we usually see. Kristoff is wearing a little more, like, chain mail. He doesn't wear the cape and the hood. Right. And then the, the, the real Doom is wearing this really shiny silver armor. He kind of looked like Doom 2099. Yeah, like, almost. Yeah. But, uh, but then... If Doom, if real Doom is wearing the super shiny silver armor, then that kind of means that all the other Dooms in sort of the gray stuff have been the Doom bot the whole time. Well, not in the past. I mean, he brought out this shiny suit just for this issue here. Well, I know. But, but I mean, that's, that's the implication that they're going for, I think. Yeah, maybe. After his defeat, he, like, ups his armor. Yeah. And, like travels around the world Bruce Wayne style <laughs> yeah. to improve his magic uh, or Meanwhile, something. The, he sends his Doombots right. to further play well, the but Fantastic the, But Four. the thing is, he doesn't even know that that Doombot's doing it. Right. Because he's like, oh, this is curious. This Doombot thinks it's me. <laughs> yeah. He's created his own monster. But the interesting thing is that whether it's the same Doombot or different ones that sort of become self-aware, he has these Doombots all the time that think they are him. Yeah. 
in one of the other issues in this volume, which we'll talk about next time, there's a Doombot that's carrying a cake and it trips and falls into the cake and he goes, curse you, Richards. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. And um, even up to recent times um, in The Runaways, or actually it, it would have first been in uh, Avengers AI. In Avengers AI, there's a team of artificial intelligences that team oh, up yeah. and, and one Doom, of them is Doombot. Is Doombot, that's right. And then uh, that Doombot eventually befriends Victor on the Runaways and he's still romance sorry did they form a romance no oh (laughs) (laughs) okay but but he thinks he's doomed the whole time yeah yeah I love it it's just such a it's it's a convenient plot device that they keep on going back to it's like oh that wasn't Dr. Doom the whole time that's right yeah it gets a little tiring sometimes it's like man I wish they'd have like some actual resolution to some of these stories but but sometimes with the newest Doom bot they make it very obvious that it's not actually Doom and they play it up yeah and it's good um, you can see that Walter Simonson is starting to undo things at this point. I think he knows that his time is almost up uh, with Fantastic Four. And so he's starting to put the pieces back to the way they were, like every writer usually does, um, or at least during this era at least. They they make monumental changes to the characters, but by the end of their run, they kind of set everything back to the way it was before. And so by making Ben a thing again... And making Sharon Ventura not a thing, he's starting to restore the status quo of the team. The interesting thing about that is that he makes Ben back into the thing. And to begin with, he looks like the normal thing. Yeah. But then after a while, he starts to mutate again into the thing that we saw in... In Steve Englehart's run. Yes, in uh, Fantastic Four 310. Yeah. So why did he do that? Why didn't he just leave him as the regular thing? Um, I, yeah, I don't know, because we would and, wanted to push him a little bit. And and the way that they change him back into the regular thing in a few issues is kind of lame. Yes, it really is. They could have just left him as uh, the thing, and uh, like the normal thing, and just we would have been fine with it. There is one time in here, one mention that Reed, Reed's talking to Franklin, and, or to Sue, and he says, maybe it's time we start trying to figure out a way that we can restore Franklin's powers. Yeah, because at this point, Reed has put mental blocks in Franklin's head so that he purposely won't use his powers, and now he's thinking about undoing that. And I can't help but think like the ultimate goal here, or the ultimate thing that happens when Franklin gets his powers back, is Heroes Reborn, right? Which is about five years down the road at this point. Only five? Wow. Yeah. seems like more it does seem like more it's because this is 1991 and heroes were born was 96 wow i think yeah and so i i'm sure that they weren't thinking about this at this point there's no way that they could be like oh the end game of this little comment right here is going to be heroes were born (laughs) but there's also so much in the issues around fantastic four 400 where Franklin gets his uh, uses his powers, and uh, the whole thing where he like goes into the future to train and comes back and but that's not because of his force. powers though. That's because of his grandfather. Well, yeah, no, no, but I mean, oh, but he like, has his powers. He has his powers at that point. Yes, but they're not the same powers. They're very low level compared to what he can actually do. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, we do see some glimpses in Fantastic Force of this high level power, but nothing on the level of like yeah. creating a new universe. But anyway, that's a conversation yeah. for a completely <laughs> different time. Um, would this be after Tattletale and the Power Pack? Uh, yes, yes, okay. it would. Yep. 
So the issue ends with Doctor Doom challenging Reed Richards to a time battle. Time battle. <laughs> uh, they were going to wear these little devices that um, allow them to jump through moments of time. And so they can actually just do their whole battle in a matter of moments. But not just like kind of immediate time. Not like they're not going to travel back to no, no, no. the Victorian no. era um, or something. Doom even says there's about a 30 minute maximum plus minus on yeah. that. But part of the idea is Doom's had time to figure out this device and Reed has no time to figure it out. Right. So he thinks he has, Doom thinks he has an advantage. Which is dumb because Doom's whole thing is I can, I I'm Reed superior. He could give Reed. He should say I could give Reed all the time in the world to figure this out, and I'll still beat him because right. that's how Doom thinks exactly. himself. So it's kind of a cheat here that he's saying that. Um, but the other the other Fantastic Four is still trapped. It's just Ben who was uh, taking care of Sharon and Reed who has escaped. He says that he escaped by using um, ancient masonry, the fact that it's ancient masonry in the in the castle, and a sharp um, belt buckle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He just yeah, yeah. scraped his way through to make a tiny hole that he could squeeze through. Yeah, but we, we will see that that's not exactly the case in a couple issues from now. So the next issue here, uh, unfortunately, is... Filler. Fill in, a fill-in issue. Issue 351 is called Strange Interlude, and that is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. We have Kubik and Cosmos, and they are, uh, we saw them previously in, oh, last volume. Um, Was it the annual? It wasn't, um, it was a couple volumes ago. This was the, the, Uh, this is the Secret Wars 3 that I was mentioning in the past. uh, Oh, uh, volume volume. 17, is it? I think, I think somewhere around 17 or 18. Um, I think it's 18. Uh, anyway, we saw them previously, and they were sort of giving an overview of the Marvel Universe. They gave a great um, uh, explanation as to oh. the structure of cosmic entities. Yeah, that was in the previous volume. Right. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and now they're continuing that by looking specifically at Earth. And they're like, the uh, powers that be in the universe kind of have a soft spot for Earth. Why? And so they pull the Fantastic Four out as their example of this. And they say, well, what happens if we take these special creatures, remove what makes them special, which is not their powers, but their personality traits, um, and then stick them in this maze with the uh, suggestion that they need to escape. And um, what we see is that even with their primary traits removed, that allows secondary traits to come more to the front. And that demonstrates human um, adaptability. Right. Uh, These creatures who are um, omnipotent say, oh, well, actually, by knowing everything, we are actually more limited. And these creatures who are, we thought were more limited, actually have the greater ability to grow. So So the four traits, primary traits... Uh, Reed Richards is his primary trait is intellect. Yes. Sue is compassion. Ben is courage, and Johnny is aggressiveness. Yes. Would which you, which I think would be is uh, with all of these. Yes. Now you might think that the thing would be the aggressiveness, but the aggressiveness is the hot headedness, the quick temper, which I think Johnny den- tends to demonstrate more. Uh, just um, his... Maybe, but Ben also demonstrates that quite a bit. And he flies off the handle all the time. 
Yes, but I think that that has to do more with um, his um, knowledge that he is fairly impervious and the courage pushes him forward. He's not afraid of the consequences. He's going to go forward and do what needs to be done. Whereas Johnny often will react in an aggressive manner because of impatience or because of fear or because of other things, not necessarily courage. Okay, yeah. Uh, which we see actually in a few volumes um, when he accidentally burns down Empire State University. Right. He's He ends up going Nova in the city because he's afraid. Hmm. So Cubic is the cosmic cube. Right. Become a personality or a, a sentient being. And Cosmos is the beyonder. Um, so that's those are changes that were made to these characters in Secret Wars 3. There's a lot of Secret Wars 3 stuff that's right. being mentioned in this Which is here. weird because that was such a uh, a flop of a story. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems weird that they keep pulling back um, little uh, storylines from it, mm-hmm. plot elements. This issue is drawn by Mark Begley. This is kind of early in his career. I don't think he's gotten on Spider-Man at this point yet. Mark Bagley would eventually end up being the regular pencil penciler on Fantastic Four right. in about I don't know 2012 maybe or 13 I around there. Yeah. What, who was the writer at that time? Was it um, Matt Fraction? I think it was Matt Fraction's run. Right. Was it? It was after Jonathan Hickman. That was Matt Fraction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's keep on going. This is just an inventory story, so it's out of continuity. The the thing looks different. There were there were two things that I wanted to mention. Well, they they pulled them out of a specific time, so yeah. that's why the thing looks different. Um, two things that I wanted to mention. One is um, we've already seen a few times in this volume, and we see it other times as well, that people underestimate Reed's power. They write him off as just like the brain, the intellect. But um, here we see his determination and his just uh, his aggressive side being unleashed and his ability to overcome obstacles not even just based on intellect uh we also see uh johnny who's typically thought of as like oh the dumb kid he just doesn't think through things so cubic um correctly identifies it he says that johnny could be smarter but lacks the patience involved if he were just willing to be a little more patient he could actually and you know and think things through then he could actually uh show that he's more intelligent than people think he is and we see that uh later on when Johnny has to take more responsibility both in the team and in the foundation, in the management of the foundation, which happens in Mark Wade's run. But doesn't he totally like mess it up? Yeah, but that's because I think the he stops being patient. Right. There there are times <laughs> when he's patient and he does succeed and he makes really good decisions. And then when he's not patient, then he yeah. just sort of flops. Okay, going on to issue number 352. This is an issue that you kind of need to read two times. Oh, totally. And it's, I, I love it. This is just fantastic. I love it when comics will play with this sort of thing. Um, this is a time travel issue. And so there are two distinct storylines going on right now. There's the story where the thing has to rescue the other members of the Fantastic Four and find out how to escape Doom's castle. And then there's the other uh, other storyline where it's Doom and Reed who are doing their time battle through periods of time within a half hour span. Yeah, it is so clever how this book is arranged. Like even yeah. even after I realized that 
this is not supposed to be read linearly. It actually took me two tries to figure out what was going on. <laughs> yeah, so in this epic collection, they actually give you a little guide as to how to read yeah, this. If you want to cheat. Um, if you want to cheat. It, it shows it after the issue, so you will theoretically have read the issue yeah. first to try and, and then are like totally confused. I, I wonder how many people figured it out in the original without that little hint. I think you can piece it together. Oh, yeah. I mostly did. The way that it's laid out is that most of this issue is structured in two columns. The column on the left is in full color, and it deals with the thing and his his goal of trying to receive other members of the Fantastic Four and get out of the castle. And then there's a column on the right, which is in black and white, and this is... Uh, this is Doom and Reed's battle throughout time. And at the bottom of the black and white panel or column, there's always a little time stamp of where they are disappearing to. And in the left corner, there is a uh, time stamp of the current time. Yes. And so if you want to experience this for yourself, you can stop listening to us and just read it. I am hoping that you've already read this issue if you're listening to this podcast. So we're just going to tell you here... The time that's at the bottom of the black and white panel is the time that they are disappearing to. So you need to turn the page yep. to the the color column that has the uh, the same timestamp on it. So if if they're disappearing to one forty a.m., you need to turn to the page that says one forty a.m. in the green box in the lower left hand corner. Now, if you want to take that information and do it yourself, you can stop listening right now. If you really, really are stuck and you want the straightforward answer, here's the actual order of pages. <laughs> okay. 202, 204, 209, 211, 210, 203, 214, 205, 206, 213, 207, 212. And now I missed this one until I read the last part. It then goes to the cover. Yes. Then 208 and 215. Yeah, so the cover actually plays a very important role. I never realized that. Yeah, like I, I know I've read this before, and I probably figured out the you know flipping the the pages and things like that. But I never thought to look at the cover, and I never realized how important it was. And the cover timestamp is in the middle of one of the long panels, right. so it's you don't have to turn to it. Uh, and in fact, you wouldn't even know that there it was an option if you're not paying close attention. So you you mentioned when we were talking about the 350th issue that yes. Reed chips away at the masonry with a belt, belt buckle in right. order to escape. Yes. But in actuality, he fires a beam into into time. He deflects a beam. He, yeah, he yeah. deflects a, a beam into time and frees himself from his prison. That's genius. In the, in the past. <laughs> and that's what's shown on the cover. Yeah, the cover is Reed uh, charging forward uh, with this ex- explosion behind him. And there's a timestamp of 1233 on yeah. the cover. Yeah, it's it's so brilliant. So brilliant. I love it. Uh, it works so well. And uh, and it, it's just things like this, being so creative like this is just uh, one of the reasons I love this format, this medium. Yeah. You can't do this storytelling in a prose novel. It nope. just doesn't work the same way. Well, what um, about a Choose Your Own Adventure? Choose Your Own Adventure <laughs> is a little bit different. Um, yeah. But even, I don't think you could really get away with this in a different comic. I think Fantastic Four suits it pretty well. Maybe in a particular Avengers one, like if you're fighting Kang or something. But yeah, I, I don't think that this kind of thing would even work in a different a different title. 
it depends on the characters involved, I think, mm-hmm. it, uh, because it really relies on the intellect of Reed. It also relies on just time travel, and, and time travel has been something that Doctor Doom has played with since his very first appearance. Yeah. Uh, so that's it's not a it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's yeah. mastered time travel here like this. Right. But you think of you you think of this, uh, or you look at this, and basically Doom's. Um, Doom's whole plan is uh, jump to like half a second before Reed makes a move in behind him and stab him in the back. <laughs> yeah. It, it's also revealed that halfway through the battle, he switches places with Kristoff so that Doom could actually like, while Reed's busy with Kristoff, Doom could actually like hit him from behind or something. Mm-hmm. But Reed shows his intellect through thinking through his entire time plan before he actually goes and does it. And so anytime he jumps to a specific time, it's for a particular reason. Yeah. And so it's a much more intelligent way to do that. You think of like, okay, let's say uh, Captain America and Kang are doing the same thing. Well, Captain America wouldn't have the intellectual bandwidth to think through the plan that in that much detail in a nonlinear fashion. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very well done. Uh, this is definitely a highlight in in this volume, along with uh, the new Fantastic Four and uh, yeah. a key moment that's happening in, in which in we'll the, talk about in the coming next. up soon. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know I've read this before, but I don't think I've actually appreciated it as as much as this time reading it through. Well, that's good. Yeah, especially coming out of the the three hundred fiftieth issue. Right. Yeah. And then there's a bonus feature in this. Right after this issue, they placed um, an ad that was a fake ad that was drawn for Marvel Illustrated the swimsuit issue, and it's um, Reed showing off. It's like a Timex parody, <laughs> parody ad, yeah. but he's he's showing off his new Chronex Chronex watch, uh, which is one that uh, will take you through time. What's the slogan here? Your time may run out before it does. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they've all, uh, they have put in a couple of swimsuit issue pinups. Right. All right. Issue three fifty three is titled Fzam. <laughs> no, it's not. It's but not. that's 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 the uh, that's the sound effect at the very top of the opening panel. Yeah. It's actually called So Little Time, So Much to Do, or If I Could Save Time in a Klein Bottle. Now, Klein Bottle is actually fairly important in this context. Um, A Klein bottle is a bottle that only has one surface. So it doesn't have an inside or an outside um, particularly. It's kind of like a three-dimensional version of a Mobius strip. Hmm. So Mobius strip is a two-dimensional surface that through the third dimension wraps around. And it uh, it only has like one side because you can start tracing on one side and as long as you follow through, then you end up tracing a line on both, like, quote, sides of the paper. Right. So this surface should have two sides, but only has one side, okay. which is only possible when you have that third dimension there. A Klein bottle looks like the bottom sort of traces out and up around the side and goes back inside itself. And what was the outside becomes the inside. <laughs> and that's only possible if you have a fourth dimension to go through. Uh, And the fourth dimension is often thought of as time. So here we are in another time travel issue. And so they make reference to a Klein bottle because of the fourth dimension. All right. What happens in this issue? Because of the interference of Doom with time, the TVA sends Justice Peace, who's like their um, hired hitman 
to go and capture the offenders. Supposedly, time has been、uh, time travel has been locked down in this、uh, reality in this timeline because of all of the recent events of Fantastic Four. There's been so much messing with time. We gotta just stop it. So they lock down time, but somehow Doom is able to get around this for his battle with Reed. Doom is apparently vaporized at the end of three fifty two, and the rest of them, the Fantastic Four, are taken to the TVA to sort of stand trial. Now, the reason why they're they're on trial is because it, it, it's because of the Galactus story from the previous volume, but it's also because. Uh, that Reed has just been jumping through time a lot, all of a sudden, just right now. Right. But can you imagine though, if the theory is that each time travel creates a new timeline, which create which creates a new、uh, monitor in the TVA, and so Reed has just jumped through. He's just created like twenty new timelines、yeah. in a matter of minutes. Well, actually, the、uh, the the way they explain it for the TVA is that they have monitors who will decide whether. An action of time travel is significant enough to branch off into a new timeline. Okay, but still, that's going to take a lot of work because、yeah. now this one person who is in charge of monitoring this timeline has to look over twenty or thirty different、um, events to decide whether those will branch off into twenty or thirty new timelines. But they exist outside of time itself, so they have all the time in the world to make those decisions. It's just the whole bureaucracy of it. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it. So yeah, they Kristoff the, is it's Kristoff who is believed dead because in the end they right because they, they flipped they, they yeah Doom apparently、um, apparently Switch places. switches places and it's it's Kristoff who is vaporized, which is not exactly the case because he comes back too. Oh yeah, it was all just the Doom bot. <laughs> okay, so on page two thirty three, I was going to mention this. Okay, good. Yeah,、um, it's just a small little reference of.、Right. Um, They're looking through. They're looking through this. I don't know what、portal. to call it, but yeah, the portal. They're, they're getting a tour of the TVA. Yeah, because it's all part of Reed's plan、uh, to sort of convince them to give them a tour, even though they're captives. But they get taken to the Hall of Discontinued Universes. <laughs> I love it. And、uh, right down in the corner, you can see very little detail, but it's obvious that you can see a little bit of Supergirl. Yeah. She's red and blue,、yep. blonde hair, the cape, and everything. You got the skirt.、Yep. It's yep. obviously Supergirl. Yep, and that's definitely a reference to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Totally,、yeah. which was maybe one of the very first big time travel stories. No, I can't say no, for sure. No, it would definitely be the biggest. You like universe、Altering. ending, yeah, right? So, which is why it's in the Hall of Discontinued Universes. It's like the first big time where universes have ended. On page number, you can now flip to page number two hundred and forty. I love the use of the unconventional panel, the L-shaped、oh, yeah. panel here. It's very unusual, and it's not something that I think I would recommend comic artists <laughs> to do very often. But、um, but this one works sort of because thing is crashing through multiple floors, and when he hits the bottom, he bounces and ricochets to the right to create this L-shaped panel, and then you have to go back up to.、Um, Kind of the next panel that's beside the top of the L shape, and 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 then you see his form kind of going through、um, a doorway or something like that, an opening, and it doesn't quite work because the it's the way the panels are laid out 
doesn't like it doesn't flow as well as it probably should but it's still neat to see people being sort of creative like that it would work better somehow if the trajectory from the thing after he like starts going horizontal lined up a little better with the going to the portal i think so but hey when you're dealing with time travel you know time (laughs) you know when time and space is all wonky then you can do whatever penalty you want there, one of the best things that I like about Walt Simonson is the fact that he knows that the Fantastic Four are a well-oiled machine and knows how each other. I think the biggest example of this is in this issue where Reed just starts doing things like asking for a tour and everything like that. And all of the other members of the Fantastic Four automatically know that Reed has a plan and they just go with it. They don't necessarily know what it is. They don't debate it. They don't. They just watch for their cues. They know how to interpret Reed's cues when he cues them to do something. And it all rolls rolls right along exactly as it should. Now, one thing I wish is that there's one part here where the thing leans on a desk and it crumbles because he's just heavy. And after the fact, Reed goes, oh, I'm glad you got my cue to create a distraction. I wish that they had shown in that panel or just before the thing... Uh, a little goes, wink yeah, or something. A little wink yeah. or some sort of hand signal or something that yeah. there was a signal, mm-hmm. but they didn't. Right. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. But but still, it was that kind of thing where, where they just uh, know each other so well. Yeah. And it's so different from... Um, from any of the like X Men who practice routines and have strategies, or the that they Avengers, have to call out and... where they have a chairman, but they all have an equal say. So if yeah. we have a plan, we got to discuss it and debate it. It's very, very different, a different dynamic, and I like the way Simonson um, attacks that. Yeah. Okay, moving along to issue number three fifty four. Uh, okay, so the the very la- end of the last issue, Mark Gruenwald's character. <laughs> He has uh, caught Ben in a little bit of a conundrum. He can stop what he's doing right now, destroying the place, and they will go back in time and prevent the uh, prevent him from getting on that rocket that will take him to outer space and turn him into the thing. He'll be able to lead a normal life forever. And and Johnny's like, yeah, he's not going to fall for that. And he looks over and Ben is like, he's actually considering it. So that takes us into this next issue, the Cross Time Express. Um, and a great, fantastic cover as well, as always. All of these Walt Simons oh, covers yeah. are great with this huge locomotive that the Fantastic Four are on, busting through something. Time and space. Busting through time and space itself. Time is represented as just blank white, which yes. is cool. And then space is represented as stars, of course. But uh, yeah, we get into this issue and find out that that thing actually might go for it, um, except that he remembers that if he doesn't if he doesn't become the thing if the fantastic four don't become the fantastic four then galactus in 40 years in the future will end up destroying the planet right which i think is kind of dumb because galactus would have destroyed the planet during fantastic four number 50 the coming right. of galactus exactly like that <laughs> that would have been the first that one. would have been the first time that galactus would have destroyed the planet um but the thing is that it would have destroyed all of time Right. right, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So the other thing, though, is what he should have realized is if he hadn't become the thing, he, um, Mr. Mobius says, oh, you can spend your time with Sharon without being the thing. But if he, he hadn't become the thing, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have, have met, met Sharon. Sharon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So in order to escape the TVA, Reed creates a virus that will wipe out any references to the 616 timeline. 
Which is a great way, I think, of actually writing out the TVA. Yeah. They're a great device, but not and not just anybody is going to be able to write them. And it would have to mean that you would expect them to show up anytime Kang appears. Yeah, the everywhere. TVA would be after them and stuff oh, yeah. like that. It's 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 actually a pretty brilliant way to again, like we said, Walt Simonson is wrapping things up here. Um, because this is his last issue. He is taking care of the problems that he's created. And one of the big problems is the TVA. The, the, <laughs> the sheer existence of the TVA is a problem. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but I realized at this point that I was reading Mr. Mobius with John Cleese's voice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> especially I, especially yeah. right at the beginning where he's saying... Um, well, of course, there'll have to be some minor adjustments made. Timelines are tricky operations. Full Timelines subtleties. are tricky operations. <laughs> I can't do his accent. but <laughs> No, you can just imagine him like doing that sort of mumbly type thing that he does under his breath. Huh, so <laughs> I didn't quite like the explanation at the end here where they just uh, they take the train out of town and that yep. takes them back to their time. Um, and their their time and space, and in exchange they have to hand over their costumes because fabric. I guess this alien it, it's hard to come by wherever this alien is well, from. The I didn't mind that part. This alien is obsessed with Earth culture, uh, which is why he has his time travel device look like a train, um, and so he wants an authentic uniform, but he can't make it because he doesn't. He isn't able to get like Earth fabric when he's outside of time. So I didn't mind that, but I feel like the whole ending is really just rushed. They're fighting Justice Peace, yep. and all of a sudden he's like, well, I was thinking of getting out of the business anyway, so might, might as well just go <laughs> right. home. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then he just jumps off the train at his specific point in time. Right. And then, yeah, so the thing that I really don't like is that they travel back to their time, and everything's restored Right. just as it always has been. And Ben is back to being regular thing instead of human. And they all go, oh, look, you're regular thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I am. And that's it. But Sharon doesn't turn back into thing. No. Like, what What point in time did they go back to that allowed this specific Well, it seems like just minutes. Uh, what is it? it says minutes after they, um, after they left for Latveria, I think. Right. But still, it doesn't make sense that the thing changes back and like nothing else changes. Yeah. So it seems like maybe he wanted to do one more issue to try and smooth things out, but then needed to like just cram an ending in there. Yeah, I don't know what the issue was exactly. I know that uh, we. I have a clip of Ralph Macchio talking about Walt Simonson exiting the Fantastic Four, so I'll definitely put that in here. Well, I think Walt had done... Um everything he wanted to do um we we had um you know we had that last storyline um where we were dealing with the um that whole uh thing i forget, i forget the name of it not the congress of realities it was um the tva the time variance authority oh yeah and uh right the time variance authority and all of the um all of the sort of bureaucrats in there all kind of had a mark grunewald look on their face and that was <laughs> That was kind of fun, because I remember at one point, um, I think, you know, Mark, uh, in his day um, as executive editor, wanted to really keep track of all of the stuff that was going on in the Marvel Universe and try to keep it all under control. And you can go sometimes a little bit too far with that. And I remember at one point, Mark had sent out a, um, a memo 
where he had um, said that no new um, outer space or alien races could be introduced without it running past his office. And I think Walt was one of the guys who, you know, kind of mildly bristled at that, like, hey, come on, you know, if I want to do something in one of these books here, I don't want to have to run it through this, you know, bureaucracy. That, okay, can I introduce an offshoot of the scrolls or whatever? So, again, I, you know, Mark's intentions were good, um, but maybe he'd gone a little bit too far with that. I, I don't know. And, and as I say, Walt, uh, I think, just kind of wanted to tweak his nose a little bit so all the bureaucrats in the TVA looked like Mark Grunewald because he was the guy, you know, that was sort of keeping track of everything in the, in the Marvel Universe. So he had all these Mark Grunewald kind of bureaucrats keeping track of everything in the multiverse. <laughs> That's incredible. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so And funny. again, they were, they were good friends, by the way. There was certainly yeah. no animosity between of the two of them. I mean, Mark is the one who put Walt on floor. So. But, but, you know, he was kind of tweaking his nose a little bit. Yep. But I, I was very happy, and, you know, Walt concluded his run in fine style. Yeah. Um, and then it was just time, you know, for him to, to go off and do other things. He certainly was not going to have any shortage of uh, stuff to do. But uh, but it was a really good run. I'm very happy I put him on that book, and um, I, it was definitely a, a memorable run. So did you know that his time was coming up? Did he give you warning about that, and <clears throat> you were able to prepare yes. for it? Yeah, it was no sudden departure. Um, you know, we knew after this run that this would be it. You know, Walt had put so much into it, because remember, he wasn't just, you know, writing it. He was penciling it, too. Right, yeah. And so that, you know, a reader reads it, you know, once a month and reads it for, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour, and they're done. This is a guy who's living with it, you know, 30 days out of the month. So after a certain amount of time, you know, when you're both writing and drawing it, you just say, okay, you know, I've done what I, I you know, want to do, and it's time for me to, to leave here because you don't want to get stale on the characters and, and you want to leave them begging for more rather than saying, no, 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 enough is enough. And, you know, Walt picked just the right time to uh, to leave. Uh, we left on a high note. Um, he had concluded a great run. And, um, and, you know, that was it. It was really good. So just before we end this episode, uh, we're going to jump ahead to the very end of this epic collection. And there is a bonus feature. I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. There's a bonus feature, which is one story from the Marvel Holiday Special number one that features the Fantastic Four, written by Walt Simonson and drawn by Arthur Adams. So it's worth uh, sticking this is part of, as part of this part of the conversation since we're dealing with the rest of Walt Simonson's run here. It's a great story. Yeah. yeah. I really like this story. So do I. Uh, it's called A Christmas Coda, and Sue and Franklin are Christmas shopping, and Franklin's going to try and find a gift for his dad, and uh, but he only has 50 cents, and he decides to buy um, a, a Christmas ornament. He decides not to buy a Christmas ornament. Sorry, yes, he decides not to buy a Christmas ornament. For himself. Um, so his mom buys that for him. Yeah. But he stumbles ac across a guy in an alley, you know, he assumes he's a homeless guy or something like that, yeah. but it it's like he's Jacob Marley. He's yeah. he's got all of the 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 chains that hold him down. He's kind of a ghost figure because Franken can see right through him. Yeah. Uh, and it ties in uh, with um, Sue is trying to teach him the spirit of Christmas, but he interprets that as the spirits of Christmas, like uh, ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has to tr he wants to try and find a way to unshackle this character. Um, so that he can free him of the things that weigh him down. But, and he finds a key. The key can only be bought with everything that, you, oh, what, uh, what does he say? Everything that you have, everything, everything of value. Everything of value that Franklin has. And so he gives up all of his money, which is 50 cents. Doesn't work. 
he realizes he also has to give up the Christmas ornament that he just got. Yeah, the one that he really wanted but decided not to buy and his mom bought for him. Yeah. Because it still has some sentimental value. And this really shows the character Franklin. He has always been a character that tries to look out for other people. Always. He's always been that way ever since he was born. Uh, And he was like his time through Power Pack. Yeah. All dealing with all of those extraterrestrial characters they always came across. And he's always has always has the sympathy of the the down and out and his and his team the fantastic force with the the exception of his kind of aunt um is is like misfits yeah yeah so this was a great story because he goes through this experience and it's one of those does it really happen or is it all in his mind kind of (laughs) things and it's like but there is no no one else can see him yep yep sue's there when he's when he's unlocking the chains but she can't see him it did this actually happen and yeah, it kind of actually did happen. It's all based around, of course, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, borrows major themes and elements from that, but it's really its own thing. It's not at all a knockoff of that no. story at all. Yeah, and they, t- they, they reference uh, Dickens at the end. Yep. If you pay- turn to page 489, in the top center panel, right after Franklin gets to meet this ghost, there's some really neat art stuff that's going on here where... There are white lines used to uh, delineate the bricks on the brick wall, but the white lines go over top of this ghost character to give the the impression of transparency. Yeah. Transparency. Yeah. 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 Which nowadays really they would just you know um, set the layer right at, at a fifty percent uh, transparency yeah, or something. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, that's a really now. neat yep. way to do it, and mm-hmm. I wish that they had done a little more, or wish that he had done it a little more in this. Yeah, it only happens in that one panel. Really. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yep. a nice, if they call it a Christmas coda, I feel like it's a nice coda for Walt Simonson's run. Just right. A, a, nice little, <laughs> a nice little calm after everything had happened in the time travel episode, or right. the time travel story. Yeah, it's a very blade back feel it's, to it's this. Just, yeah, it's just a nice close to his whole run. It's yep. very cool. Now, at the end of the holiday special, and I, this wasn't actually in the holiday special, I think this is just something added for this collection, there are some pictures of covers from from different releases of this uh of this collection so there's the monsters unleashed covers uh from different collections there but then there's also bonus special which shows uh it shows some art adams uh artwork for the fantastic four the new fantastic four and these pieces although i believe they're colored differently were used for the marvel series two trading cards uh, for the team pictures of Fantastic Four and New Fantastic Four, as well as the Fantastic Four versus Mole Man card. Mm-hmm. Those were great cards. I still have them. Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty sure I do too. Somewhere in there. Yeah, There's and there's also some different sketches and some bonus features relating to Arthur Adams' work on New Fantastic Four, along with that afterward that you had mentioned yeah. as well. Um, and also a fake interview between Ben and uh, She-Hulk about <laughs> his time in the unlimited class wrestling federation right and it's pretty short (laughs) well that brings us to the end of our episode here 
next time that you will be on the show, we will continue going through this volume and talk about the Tom DeFalco run. This is one of my favorite eras of uh, Fantastic Four. Mine too. And that partly has to do with that was when I was like first collecting comics. But yep. I mean, it's got some really great stories. It does. It's underappreciated. I think people write it off as like a lot a really kind of soap opera-y and has a terrible ending because the whole thing got derailed by... Heroes Reborn. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't end well, but there's so much good stuff uh, mixed yeah. in there, which I'm excited to, to dive into, yeah. dive in deep to it's, talk about this stuff. Uh, I'll talk about this more next time, but uh, it's sort of the last time that we really get a true Fantastic Four feel for a long time, up until, I would say, up until Hickman. Um, that meaning like the whole... Um, interaction of family and exploration as a main focus, scientific advancement, um, as opposed to just like, let's go fight the big bad guy. Uh, yeah, I could see that because that doesn't, the, there's some weird stuff that happens in Claremont to kind of derail that. And Mark Wade is really obsessed with magic yes. um, in his run. Yeah. And, Good Diablo story, though. And then we get to, yeah, then we get to, to Hickman. And the Heroes Are Born stuff also was had a very different focus. Well, that's, yeah, that's a different story altogether. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I had a fun time. This was uh, actually a lot longer episode than I thought it was going to be, <laughs> considering we only went through half of this book, but I'm glad we did it. Yes. It's uh, very interesting. I hope all yep. of you found it interesting, too. Let me know what you think. And you can reach me at epicmarvelpodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit us on the internet's in various places like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just search Epic Marvel Podcast, and I'm sure you'll be able to find us pretty easily there. Stay tuned, and we will see everybody next time. Bye.